You'll recognize the voice instantly. It reeks of the ACC, to use a less, uh, maybe less than, than favorable adjective, but I couldn't think of any others. <laughs> Wes Durham is our guest on this edition of the ACC Now podcast. I'm News and Observer sports columnist Luke Peacock, and Wes has long been a friend of the NNO sports staff. But Wes, I wanted to kick off by saying or asking you uh, about a longtime friend of yours, the Carolina Panthers radio voice, Mick Mixon, calling his last game on Sunday. You guys have known each other for a long time before he was in the NFL, before you were in the NFL. Uh, what's your yeah. perspective on, on Mick's career? He's a voice so familiar to, to people around here. You know, Luke, I, first of all, I'm, I'm thrilled for Mick that, you know, he was able to do 17 years with the Panthers and go to a Super Bowl and, um, you know, kind of have that, that longstanding legacy that you get from doing games that long. Um, and I think he was always kind of destined to do something like that, even when he came to Chapel Hill to work with my dad back in the 80s. I still thought that Mick was one of those guys that was – you know, going to find something. I, you know, for me, the NFL was a great opportunity for him. I would have thought Major League Baseball would have been a heck of an opportunity for him. I think he's his college baseball work at Carolina was sensational. I mean, it really was. It, and, of course, he had done minor league ball, I think, with the main guides and things like that. So, But when you get around to it, um, everybody – you can't always script the end, right? I mean, you, Tony Gonzalez taught me that when he came back to play one last year in Atlanta, and they didn't have a particularly great year. and we were standing in the locker room literally after his last regular season game. And he looked at me and said, Wes, you can't script it. And he's right. And Mick knew that. And he announced before the year. And I think he, you know, has indicated to several folks he wanted to do it last year. But then the way the year played out, it just didn't feel right. I get that, too. Um, so I'm, I'm happy for him that he got the full run here. Uh, I'm sorry they didn't have a great year. But at the same time, I'm thrilled for he and Dawn that they're going to get to their farm in Alamance County that they're, I know they're really excited about. He and I talked about it last summer and kind of all the things he wants to do. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to kind of seeing, you know, what little projects that he'll be willing to talk about here in a year or two where it's mixing, the, you know, whether it's working on the farm and, or is it fixing cars or whatever the situation might be. And, I told him, I said, don't ever think that somebody won't call you to voice track something. You know, I mean, he's got that perfect Southern cadence that if he wants to, he could he could voice track just about anything. So um, I told him, I said, you get bored, you can start being the audio voice of books. You know, I mean, yeah. there are a lot of people doing that nowadays. And uh, and he but he's as immensely talented and has a great ear for production. That's the one thing I always he scripted lots of things for the Panthers that were sensational. He did a lot of that when he was at Carolina with my dad. And I've always been grateful for our friendship and, and looking forward to seeing that continue as well. Yeah. I've always enjoyed my conversations with Mick as well, mm -hmm. whether they were in Chapel Hill or, or Charlotte. Um, but let's move on to, to present company. I want to thank you again for, for joining us as we kind of sure. get this podcast launched and you and I have had probably a million conversations along these lines that weren't recorded in various arenas mm -hmm. and bar rooms and whatever. Uh, but I want to start you off with a, with a thought, a thought exercise, uh, a broad question. You've Got seen it. a lot of, a lot of ACC, a lot of non ACC sports this year. What's the best game you saw period end of story in, in 2021. Ooh, uh, the best game I saw in person. Yeah, uh, yeah. Let's start there. That you called. Let's 
that you were on the mic for? Let's let's limit. Um, let's put it in that frame. Well, there there are probably a couple. Um, it's funny because Roddy Jones and I talk about it a lot. We talk about you know what do you, what kind of game do you want? We always talk about we want a really close game. The the game that comes to mind, at least right off the top, that had a ton of ebb and flow to it was the Carolina Miami game at Kenan Stadium because it ends on the on the Cedric Gray interception. But at the same time, it it was we walked away from that game thinking Carolina will be okay, and boy, Miami's in trouble. And the reason I that's the first game that came to mind was the script that came after that game, Luke. I mean, Carolina seemingly, you know, could not find that rhythm they had early in the season, even with a loss to Georgia Tech. They they came back and beat a really good Miami team. And then look what happened with Miami. They go home and beat NC State the next week. And the dynamic of the way we think of Miami has changed. Now, I will say this, you know, Manny Diaz was coaching Miami, but the the injury to De'Eric King forced the change to, to Tyler Van Dyke and, and what a star he's going to be in this league. I mean, Van Dyke is one of those guys who's he's going to be on magazine covers next spring and summer um, because I think he's that kind of player. And so that's the game that comes to mind and not as much for the way the game was, which it was back and forth, as you recall, and Carolina had a lead. Miami came back and took the lead. Carolina took the lead and then Miami threw the pick at the end. But also what the postscript was. So that's a, that's a longer answer of a shorter question. I'm sorry. No, I, and it's a great segue to talking a little bit about football season because I mm-hmm. I saw Miami again against Duke, and obviously Duke at that point at the end of the year was not in right. great shape. We all know what happened there. But Van Dyke was slinging the ball around like Peyton Manning. I mean, it was yeah. the development he showed over the course of that year. If I'm sitting there as an NFL scout, and I don't think there were many at the Miami-Duke game, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. I'm watching Tyler Van Dyke that entire game and saying, boy, in a year, because, you know, he's he's got really one year of college left if he wants That's it. That's right. In, you know, in 2020, what was that, like, 2023 NFL draft, this is a guy yep. that I'm going to be watching really closely. I mean, this mm-hmm. is a I guy think- who, could, who could go in the first. He's big. He's got an arm. He makes all the throws. Yep. I, look, I'm, I'm of the belief that the ACC was the best quarterback league in the country this year, and I'm the belief it's going to be the best quarterback league in the country next year. Now, we don't have, as you and I record this, we don't have an official word yet on Brennan Armstrong. But if Brennan Armstrong comes back, you can almost lock it up. Yeah. Because, I mean, you're talking about, and look, Kenny Pickett, you know, great player, going to be a really good pro, but they went and got Keaton Slovis, who Keaton Slovis is good now. I mean, I don't know if it's the Max Brown transfer again. You know, remember when Max Brown mm-hmm. transferred from Pitt to our USC to pit. Now, Keaton Slovis, different type guy, but I, you know, to me, you're looking at, you know, Keaton Slovis, you're looking at Phil Jerkovic, you're looking at Malik Cunningham, you're looking at um, one of the two guys, Virginia Tech, probably just got in the portal that they're going to start. Yeah. You're looking at Devin, Devin Leary. Devin Leary. Um, you know, I'll, I'll be as interested at, at, at what Mike Elko and his offensive staff, Coach John's come up with on that side of the ball, uh, Sam Hartman. At Wake yeah. Forest. I'm curious uh, to see Drake May or Jacoby Criswell, whoever wins that job. Yep. And Roddy and I, Roddy Jones and I were just talking about that on the phone over the weekend because we saw a little bit of Drake May. We saw very little of Drake May. But yet Drake May comes with all the trimmings and all the I mean you know, he, the legacy. Yeah. So yeah. If he were coming in as a recruit this year, people would be talking about, you know, this is he's gonna step right into the job. I mean, there wouldn't be any mm-hmm. 
any debate. Now there there is there's a competition there, uh, but that's an that's a really interesting interesting yeah. one. Um, yeah, no, I, I I agree completely. The the quarterback situation next year uh, going to be fascinating in the league, especially with all of the coordinator changes and, and coaching. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, kind of when you look at the way that things went for most teams in the league. I'm right. surprised at the number of coaching changes that there were. It was obviously with yeah. Miami, everybody was to a certain extent, mm-hmm. but uh, I mean, were you? Um, yeah. I, I mean, we ran a stat earlier this week on the show that only three schools do not have a head coach or a coordinator change, BC, uh, Louisville, and NC State. Those are the only three. Um, for me, yeah, I'm I'm surprised. I, I Look, I'm the Bronco Mendenhall thing. Total yeah. surprise. Um, although, in in retrospect, I've heard a couple of things that led me to believe that I, I kind of understand what the concept was there um, for him. The, the the David Cutcliffe thing again. It's it's hard when you get to the end, and it's been a, a row of tough years. And I feel for him, and I feel for his staff. I like a lot of those guys on his staff a lot. Um, and I think they've got really good coaches, but they never could seem to hit the the successful continuity button that you yeah. got to have to be good in the ACC. Um, I'm excited for Tony Elliott. I'm interested in Brent Pry. I'm completely fascinated by the staff he's putting together. I will say this. These, he has brought a guy in whose name is probably not incredibly familiar to a lot of people. His name is Brad Glenn, and he brought him in as a quarterback's coach to work with the OC, who obviously is coming in from the Jags, who was the tight ends coach there. Brad Glenn is a really, really good quarterbacks coach. I mm-hmm. mean, a guy who has uh, done some really good things at Georgia State for Sean Elliott, and I'm excited to see what Brad Glenn comes up with at Virginia Tech and and kind of how they morph the pro with the college principles because there are a lot of things, you know, whether you're in that room in Jacksonville where you're in that room at Georgia State, the athleticism of the quarterback and the run-pass game, I think it'll be really interesting to watch and see how that transpires. No, that's interesting. That's I have to admit that is not something I had considered. But that is yeah, why I mean, that is why you are here. <laughs> I don't know about that. I, I just know Brad's resume from having done Georgia State a couple times and knowing how good their offense was, Luke. Yeah, and then seeing kind of how that merges together, and then defensively, I you know look, I I fully expect a lot of Bud Foster in in what they do. I mean. Brett Pride, J.C. Price. I mean, I'm just, I'm just telling you, there's, there's going to be a lot of, a lot of that involved in this. I think. Any, any thoughts on on the the UNC season? I w- we'll, we'll touch on the three triangle schools here, but that is okay. such a strange season with with the Tar Heels. Yeah, and it's just, it's incredibly disappointing um, because I think that you know, regardless of how it was formulated there was an expectation level there, okay? Whether it was the media, whether it was the success a year ago, I mean, we, we could go all over the place yeah. with it. But to me, I thought that, you know, the uh, the second you know iteration of Mac Brown was starting to take shape. Sure. And I am as surprised as anyone at their inability to run the football. Um, I, I mean, behind five guys coming back in the offensive line. And then there were to me, telltale signs on defense. And I'll give you one example. I just mentioned Cedric Gray's interception against Miami that sealed the game. But we came out of the Orange Bowl thinking Eugene Asante was going to be that guy, right? And Eugene Asante was never that guy this year. And, you know, it's funny. The offseason in college football can produce some, some 
unrealistic things, you know, and sometimes they actually morph into uh, fascination as much as reality. And for Carolina on opening night, there were things that happened opening night in Blacksburg that they could never correct. And I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite sure how that goes about, but at the same time, that's unfortunately why you have changes. And it's, I tell you what, bringing Charlton uh, Warren and, and Gene Chiswick back means that Carolina is serious about getting good on defense because those two guys can coach it. And they're going to have some players back, and you know this, they're going to bring back enough guys, and they've recruited well enough too. See, this is the other part about this. I know everybody's incredibly disappointed at six and seven, but the payoff is you got all these guys that have been there for a year or two in these recruiting classes that you're going to have a chance, they're going to have a chance to play now, like really play. And I think that's going to be I think that's going to be really interesting. But Carolina, the focus on the ACC in the spring, um, intensity wise, would be hard to top what's going on in Carolina. Yeah, it was just it struck me that Gene Chizik came in at to to rescue for Larry Fedora a Carolina mm-hmm. defense that was a laughing stock. They gave up yeah. seventy points at ECU. You know, I that's mean, it right. was it was a, a it was a, it was a dumpster fire. And mm-hmm. now, you know, in, in, in year, you know, year one, year two, they're playing for ACC titles, the whole deal. So yeah, that, that's yeah, expectations that's, are going to be a little high. And that's, in all honesty, that's what I'm seeing here again. Chiswick's being asked to come in and he and, and Charlton Warren are going to yeah. put this whole thing together. And I think it's going to be fascinating to watch happen because they got players. You know that they've got players. And they've got guys who play the right way. I mean, Drake, Drake, in my opinion, has done a really good job in coaching, but they got to make plays. And I can't tell you the number of times I end up in conversations with coaches where, you know, the game's pretty simple, Wes, when you make plays. There you go. It's a make or miss game, as they say in basketball. Uh, mm-hmm. The Wolfpack, is that a 10 yeah. win team or a nine win team in your mind? It's a 10 win team. It's 10. They're 10 in my book. They they were going to smoke UCLA, Luke. I mean, you know, and I I have all sorts of issues with what transpired in San Diego. Um, but I, I fully expected them to win the game. I didn't think that UCLA was that good. I thought they were brutal in the secondary. And I thought and, – and here's the thing, and I'm – Guy, NC State fans don't want to hear this. I thought NC State would be able to put on a show that would catapult them into 22. Yeah. On a, on a, on a national stage where people would go to the spring thinking differently about NC State than they did two months ago. And to me, I think that that's still an opportunity. You're just going to have to manufacture it early in the year. So the sense of urgency for the Wolfpack in 22 will have to begin right away. You won't be pushed out there to say, okay, where's our sense of urgency? You know, well, here it is. We're number 11, 12 in the preseason. NC State's probably going to be somewhere 15 to 20, and they're going to have to direct their own energy. This is all about that football team right now. The, the opponents and the rosters and the schedules of everybody they're playing does not matter. It's about what that football team will want and I'll say this, I think the payoff of the way Dave Doran has built that team the last four years could be the way they play in 22. And I, I'm excited to see them because even with Iquanu gone at, uh, at tackle, I still like who they are offensively and really excited about, you know, kind of the skill guys they've got coming back. And then defensively, 
you can't bring back that kind of firepower, Luke. You know that. No, it doesn't I mean, happen bring, in college football these days. That's ex that's exactly right. And they have, and I think it speaks to the uh, the leadership of those guys, but it also speaks to the culture of that program that all those guys want to come back and see that thing through. And that's exciting. If I'm an NC State fan, I'm excited about that. The part I'm really disappointed is, is that we didn't get a chance to showcase nationally what we could be at the end of the season that would have then kind of projected you a little further. But without knowing their schedule off the top of my head, they're going to have to be a, a name taker in like the first three or four weeks of the season. It's, it's, it's a team that's capable, though, and, and I agree with you completely. That was the column that ran in our Wednesday. Uh, it was going to run in our Wednesday paper because the game wasn't going to make deadline. It was that this was the end of something, but more than that, the beginning of something. That's a great Yeah, yeah um, I, I had another coach from outside the ACC tell me that the team he was most excited to see in the postseason was NC State. Just because yeah. he watched that Friday night game against Carolina and thought, you know what? I want to see these guys in postseason because they bring the guys, the principal guys back. They could be a handful. And I, I do think they'll be a handful. In fact, I, you know, look, I have no idea how I'm going to fill out a preseason poll yet. And I know everybody thinks Clemson's going to be first. I, I got to see some things at Clemson in the spring to, yeah. to ensure that they'll get my first place vote in the Atlantic. The, the brain drain at Clemson is staggering when you look at the, the continuity that that program has had that can't, yeah. that can't not have an impact. I want to make two quick points on NC State okay. before we move on. Number one, the lumps they took in 2019, they're just all the guys who played then and weren't ready. You can just mm -hmm. see them, that progression since them. And it's, it's an yep. important lesson for programs that are ready to fire that guy. No question. So Couldn't that's, agree with you more. That's point one. And look, I, I've been critical of Dave Dorn in the past. There's no that this is unrelated to that. They came back in 2020. They navigated the pandemic as well as anybody. Right. Uh, in 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 and then in 2021, really, uh, uh, you know, took took off and continued to. Point number two. I don't know that I've come across two better leaders on the same team in the 22 years I've been doing this in the Triangle than Grant Gibson and Isaiah Moore. And I think when you have players. Regardless of their playing ability, but with right. that kind of personality and leadership, it's leadership ability is what it is. It's the ability to lead and rally people. Um, mm -hmm. Those guys being back, it just makes all the difference in the world. So, yeah, I think uh, you're right. I think Gibson and Isaiah Moore, and then production wise, when you get someone of Peyton Wilson's talent to come back, mm -hmm. it's, it changes everything changes everything about it because you've already played his backup. You've already played. So you've built infrastructure yeah. behind his injury that I think will be, I think it's, it's a double bonus for NC state going into the fall on defense. We've I, and, and I, we could cover Duke here. I just don't think anyone knows enough about Duke and what they're going to have. I, I think we'd be I, kind of wasting our time and spinning our wheels. If, if, if you don't mind. I no, I, and the only thing I will tell you is I think they have guys defensively who you know can still make plays. I, they had guys that were there. I know. I think uh, um, uh, is it uh, Gary um, has put his name in the portal and transferred, as I understand, or his name's in the portal. I'm drawing a blank on his last name. The defensive tackle. Uh, I think Dwayne Carter's back for a junior year. Gary Smith. Uh, yeah, Gary Smith has put his name in the portal. 
But Dwayne Carter is a guy who I think is a playmaker. Um, But I need to see more about – and look, Mike Elko is a really good coach. I think it's a tremendous hire. It's a terrific hire in terms of if if Nina King and I have every reason to believe Nina King is playing the long game here Mm -hmm. because – and she's, you know, as as you and I have talked about, the blueprint is in Winston-Salem. I mean, the blueprint – the blueprint to win this is in Winston-Salem and looks like to me, bringing the OC from Memphis and things like that, they're going to keep some of the tendencies, but they're also going to develop a little bit more about what the Tigers were doing in a run-pass balance that I think will complement what they're doing defensively. The key the key question I have is, are they going to play 4-2-5 or 3-3-5 defensively? That's, in, in all honesty, Luke, that's the only question I've got because Mike has morphed both at Notre Dame and at Texas A&M, in addition to what he did at uh, in addition to what he did at uh, Wake Forest, and I'll, I'll tell you a little tidbit. I know he played in a five-two in college. There you go. See, so he played in a five-man front with two linebackers, which really was he, a three-four. It was really a three-four, sure. but with Ivy talent, you, you, it's yeah. a five-two. And I think that when you see the five-two, that brings up another question because Roddy Jones, again, Roddy and I have these, you know theoretical conversations once or twice a week and he's the one that talks about philosophies duke is probably you're gonna laugh at it, duke is probably ready to play the four two five right now the three three five are they big enough to hold the point of attack against the runs yeah. a real question and i think that's what they've got to determine in the spring that's another place where spring will be really interesting i feel like it's a three three five world now in in college football it's a, it's a three three five world in the NFL. It's a four yeah. two five with most of the NFC, but in the AFC where Andy Reid dictates everything, and now yeah. you know Justin Herbert dictates a lot of things, and Derek Carr uh, dictates everything. It, it's really gone three three five for sure. Yeah. It's our four two five, I should say. It's it's crazy. All right, we spent way too long talking about a football season that's over, but this is what happens when you and I get together. As <laughs> as as we know, we're, we're going to cram some. Cram some basketball talk into the last part right. of this podcast, um, right. which is, which is, it's you know, we're a quarter of the way through the ACC basketball season already. Time is flying as it always does. Let's start sure. with the the big picture uh, because it's a question that's kind of impossible to avoid at this part point, and you you see as much basketball talk to as many of these people as as anybody. Mm-hmm. The narrative is that the ACC is down. The analytics say the ACC is down. Mm-hmm. Duke is clearly the you know the best team, and then I you know I think Miami can make a case for the second best team. All of a sudden, UNC I would have said until about nine o'clock Saturday was was the second mm-hmm. best team. Uh, you'd say Virginia Tech, but they've already lost twice at home. Uh, right. You know, it is Wake Forest is in that discussion. But how do you feel about that in the big picture? Do you agree with it? I mean, we we were coming off two seasons where the ACC's NCAA. Well, I can't say twenty twenty. Well, it wasn't going to look great. And then the NCAA tournament performance in 2021 was not great. Where, where do you see yeah. I am of the belief that we're in a transitive section of ACC basketball history. Uh, I think it's, it's, it's happened because of about three different things. The pandemic being one, uh, the pandemic and then the, uh, you know, bonus years that got through and thrown in with that. And then when they go, and allow you to you know, freedom of movement, as I call in the portal. Um, you know, you have players who were all ACC caliber players that are playing in other leagues this year. Um, and you're going to have players that are in the ACC this year that may be somewhere else next year, just as those leagues lost players into this league. Um, 
So I think it's hard to identify just what was happening. Then we had uh, Roy Williams retire. Mike Krzyzewski announced his retirement. Um, we've had the league um, kind of struggle to find its identity in non-conference games. This is not the first year. This just happens to be the most pronounced year with a non-conference situation, especially against ranked teams, Luke, is yeah. not good. It was not good two years ago, and it was a little better last year, but we really didn't have a big sample size to gauge it by, right? We were we were determined to play the conference games because everybody was under the same protocol, so you didn't see a lot of non-conference basketball. Um, I think the league is incredibly competitive, and I think that's a good thing this year, but I don't think it's going to merit more than five teams in the NCAA tournament. Yeah. And if it's four, I'm not going to be surprised. But I do like Miami. I like their combination of the guards out front. I think Larinaga is a wizard when they stay healthy. Um, he's like that sage guy that can call a timeout, whistle at his team, and doodle something up on a whiteboard. The next thing you know, they got six in a row. Um, Charlie Moore for Chris Likes was a win for Miami. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable. Charlie Moore, who committed to Memphis, by the way, to Josh Pastner when Josh Pastner was still Memphis's coach before he took the Georgia Tech job, then went to Cal, then went to Kansas, then went to DePaul, and now plays at Miami. Charlie Moore's been the perfect fit. He has opened Cam Legusty up to be what we all thought Cam Legusty might be when he arrived from Oklahoma. And all the while, you've got the most prolific score in the ACC still, in my opinion, over there in Isaiah Wong, a guy who can go get a bucket on just about anybody. So I think Miami is built to survive as long as they stay healthy, okay? Yeah. I mean, that's the caveat for Larry and, and Sam Wardenberg may be the best passing big man in the ACC. Yeah, and again, health. He's healthy. Yeah. And he's also 23 years old and playing his sixth year, I think. I mean, Charlie Morris um, played on more teams than Dennis Smith Jr. at this point. Well, that's true. Um, and here's, here's one I'll give you. I think the, the move that Wake Forest has made is part and parcel because Steve Forbes was such a damn good junior college coach. I think Steve Forbes' junior college legacy and work ethic has paid immense dividends to Wake Forest success this year because he went out and got the guys that he knew would fit the way he wanted to play. Alondis Williams, Dallas Walton, Jake LaRavia, two kids from England, the Cam Hildreth kid and Matthew Marsh at seven feet. I mean, I just think that's the smart play. And Forbes' JUCO background, you know, I joked around. I said, where'd you get LaRavia? Jayhawk Conference? Where'd he come from? <laughs> you know, I mean, that's just the thing that I think at the end of the day, in all honesty, Luke, it's the secret sauce for Steve Forbes. Yeah. And basketball is is playing to his strengths right now. So that's a that's a really good thing, in my opinion. I don't know that if you go back and look at Alondis Williams at Oklahoma, I, I don't know that you can – draw a line. I mean, I think Steve Forbes gets a lot of credit for identifying that, hey, if we make this guy the centerpiece of our offense, right, we we can thrive. He can thrive. Like it's mm -hmm. it's it's remarkable. And and obviously, you know, his willingness to embrace the wacky is, you know, Wake Forest basketball needed that. It yeah. needed some light. It needed a it guy had gotten who stiff. was a little it got oh, stiff. It had gotten so stiff. And yeah. so, I mean, even by Wake Forest standards, it was a little buttoned up. So to right. have a guy who's willing to wear the Stormy Cromer hat and, you know, ride the motor, so ride the chopper in, it's it's mm -hmm. it's a breath of fresh air. And, and you know this, I know this, people from Syracuse may not like to hear it, 
the ACC is a better place when teams like Wake Forest, like Virginia, like Georgia Tech are good. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. you, you go back to the glory days, you go to now, you look at Georgia Tech winning the title last year. Uh, it's a better league. Same way that football in North Carolina is better when East Carolina is good because it's that catalyst that gets in there and messes with everything and yeah, makes, it, it, makes it, it more interesting. I think Wake Forest is supplanting, at least for the time being, Virginia Tech, who we all thought was going to be a lot better. And yeah, I, I, I think I the Hokies will be okay. Yeah. I do too. I think down the road, yes, but they're a little bit like Carolina. I think Carolina has to go find the growth points for Hubert Davis. Yeah. And, you know, as my dad used to say, they throw you an El Dosarito every once in a while, and then they come back <laughs> and give you – they give you Virginia. They give you Michigan. They give you – you know, success in a bigger line. And I think that's what you got Saturday. I think you're going to get more than not going forward. They're a talented team, but they got to play in a more collaborative way, especially at the defensive end of the floor. I mean, think about what they did last week when they somehow or another left Nate Leshesky standing on the three-point oh, line. And by the time they got to Saturday, not only were they, you know, covering the three-point line, they were figuring out ways to help, and that's the key. They were communicating, and I think I think Hubert's done a really, really good job of trying to set a new path for them. And I look, they're going to be bumps. They're going to be bumps for John Shire next year. I don't care oh, yeah. how many guys you get. It's it's just that kind of mission. And you know, I think Carolina will hang around. I think Wake will hang around. Miami will hang around, and Duke will hang around. And then we're going to see. Then we're going to see who who the light comes on for. And I think, I think it might be Notre Dame. I think uh, it yeah. might be Notre Dame. It's a classic Mike Bray, get old and stay old team. I thought they'd be much better in the opening of the season. But right. what I saw in the Carolina game was it reminded me of, you know, Demetrius and, and Pat and those Notre Dame teams, Demetrius Jackson, mm-hmm. Pat Connaughton, where they would go out, play small, spread you out and dictate. And they did that to Carolina. I mean, Baycott was great. Mm -hmm. And then the Tar Heels forgot about him and had to go small to deal with Notre Dame. And I think when, you know, when Notre Dame's good, they're whipping the ball around. Their spacing is good. They got four or five shooters on the floor and they can do five when they have Lashevsky out there instead of Atkinson. Um, It's a, it can be, it could be later a classic Notre Dame team. I totally. Yeah. I think Blake Wesley, by the way, is terrific. I mean, Paolo Bancaro is in a skill set all of his own. But Blake Wesley is a guy who you better get a good look at him this year because he's he's a player. He's a he's real good basketball player. So much better than I thought he was going to be. He's really, yep. really good. Really, really yep. good. We could do this all night. I'm not going to make you. Thanks. Uh, we we <laughs> we. Uh, we like by the way, does this? I have a question. Does this replace the whistleblower podcast? Oh, with- you're the first person to ask. Uh, thank you. Thank you for asking. Uh, the I whistle, love that podcast. The whistleblowers, it was good. yes, thank. I appreciate that. The whistleblowers is on temporary hiatus okay. because right. uh, my co-host, uh, and maybe we'll get him on ACC now at some point. I think I think he uh, experiences what what those in the officiating industry call burnout. Yeah, I think I, it, it it was great. I, I would absolutely do it again. I think John would do it again at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we just it, I appreciate you asking. The whistleblowers was great. I strongly encourage everyone listening to this to go check it out, especially some of the episodes with uh, some interesting guests. 
Yeah. But uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're on hiatus. So I'm, I'm putting my podcast efforts in this bucket and uh, hopefully it will be as entertaining to you and others as you found the whistleblowers. How about if I tell you this, if you go back and listen to the whistleblowers, you'll also see some good young officials named by the veteran who now are in the ACC. Absolutely. Yes. That's yeah. a great point that John, yeah. Uh, if you, yeah, if you go back a couple of years, guys like AJ Desai and people like yep. that who are working. Jeff big Pond, time. That was one I Jeff remember him talking about. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the guy could scout. He could scout. Yes. There's no, Ooh, there's no doubt about it. So yep. I will, you, you, you've given me reason to go circle back with John and, <laughs> and, and redouble, redouble our efforts to see if we can get that jump start. Well, we had, we had some good re- ideas. You got to remember, Luke, I'm the guy that works with the guy in the morning with his two dogs in a basement that has the famous, infamous ACC index card. So, I mean, come on now. I mean, your life is a podcast at this point. (laughs) You know what? Every morning. I got to tell you, that's that's one of the best lines I've heard. I'm going to share that with my wife, Victoria. Because I've been called, somebody said, you know, Wes, in life, you're just Ed McMahon every morning for three hours. Yes, Packer. Okay. Yes. Said, I said, I said correct, that's a good sir. one. But now you've told me my life's a podcast. So actually, I'm, I'm, I may actually use that going forward. I may use that tomorrow on the show, in fact. I, I, I strongly encourage you to do so. You have my full <laughs> permission. Uh, you know him as the host of the Durham, I'm sorry, the Packer and Durham show Thank on you. ACC yeah. Network. I wish they'd gotten the name right. No offense. No offense, Mark. If Mark listens, he's going to be pissed. No offense, Mark. Yeah, uh, yeah. West, West Durham, uh, nobody I, nobody knows more about the ACC, present company, etc. No, I'm not in your league. I don't even pretend to be in your league. Thank, Thank you. you for your time. I appreciate time. you saying that. I look, you bet. <laughs> I look forward to seeing you down the road. Uh, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, I'm Endino Sports Columnist, Lee Cock. That was West Durham. It does not get any better than this on the ACC Now podcast.